Welcome. This is Karen Motokaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. How are you doing? Here we are. It is spring of 2022, and there's a lot going on in this world right now. Before I get started on today's show, The Myths of Working Hard, I'm going to continue on with what I've been sharing the last couple of weeks is a bit about me because we have a lot of new listeners and maybe you haven't been listening over the past 15 and a half years. So it's a great way for me to share with you or for me to circle back for those of you that have been with me for a long time. So a little bit about me is this show started 15 years ago, over 15 years ago. And it started when my daughter, this is like blowing my mind right now, because it started when my daughter was in first grade and she is now in her fourth year of university. It's been a long time. She was six and she's soon going to be 22. Wow. And the reason the show started was actually I was going through a bit of a breakdown. I call it the beginning of my breakdown. It was the, I'm not good enough. I was trying to do it all. I just need to be more productive. If I could just read another self-help book to tell me some tips, what am I missing? Let me just wake up earlier and go to bed later and I will sacrifice myself and then I can finally get it all done. It reminds me of the fairy tale Cinderella that I like to refer to, right? Where she's trying to get it all done and she's actually trying to get it all done by herself in the first round so she can go to the ball, except her evil stepsisters and evil stepmother keep giving her more and more to do because she's getting it done and they're trying to make it harder and create these obstacles so she can't go. So the problem is that I'm Cinderella and I was the evil stepsisters and evil stepmother all at the same time. So I started this show because I struggled in my own life of trying to do it all. Hence, how she really does it. You know, back then it was, I was trying to be professional. I was the only coach at my college who was the head coach of three sports. Most coaches were the head coach of one team. I was the head coach of three, women's water polo, men's swim and dive, and women's swim and dive. And swim and dive has another... (laughs) It's not just swimming, it's also diving included. Not that I coach it, but I'm responsible for it. So being a professional, right? Being a wife, wanting to have that loving, connected relationship, being a bonus mom. Notice I said bonus mom because I do not like the word stepmom. Disney and media have really done a great deal of cultural programming and where the stepmother is evil, right? It's always an evil stepmother, (laughs) who raised these children that they didn't carry, that they didn't birth. And really the one thing is I often view other parents who are bonus parents as what a gift they were willing to give somebody else because it was a decision that they decided to do. And there's a, there can be a lot of hardships and there's a lot of obstacles in raising blended families. And it's not like the Brady Bunch where the other parents are not in the picture. Like I always remember Carol and Mike Brady, they merged, right? They had this blended family, but where were their exes? 
never to be discussed. They weren't around. That's not how it is in real life. So I don't think step parents are steps and they're evil. And so I prefer the term bonus mom. And I've been using that for a long time. It was actually my friend, Pam Slim, who's been a guest on the show. I heard her say decades ago, and it's something that I have loved and appreciated and continued. So I'm bonus in their life. Well, I hope to be not always, but not a bonus in my, the children I birthed life either. And I was also a mom for the two kids that I did birth. So that was a lot. Like I was trying to do it all and do it really well. There was not space for me. And so my goal was like, if I could just work harder and work harder and harder, then I would finally be able to be so productive and so efficient that I'd finally have time for myself. Or I would finally make this promised land where then I could be like, wow, see, I am good enough and somehow rest in those laurels of being good enough. But really what was happening is, and I remember this, there were many Saturdays at two o'clock where I was face down on the carpet floor because I was so exhausted. Or how many nights during the week where I'd be face down and I couldn't figure out what was going on and just trying to get through the evening and get the kids showered and get in their pajamas and read to them and the dishes done, whatever it was, getting the older kids back from their sports practices. It was exhausting. And then how I coped with that was either I would have to work really, really hard until at some point I couldn't sustain it. And then I would go into that cycle of numbing. It could be numbing. Back then, there wasn't really the social media to numb on, but it could be with TV. It could be with food, the numbing. And that's why I started the show because remember I said I was at a breaking point. I was breaking down. I was in tears. And there are often days that our teenager was in tears. My toddlers were in tears. I was in tears. And I'm like, this is not working. So that bit of shame and fear was a catalyst for me to get started on, there's got to be a better way. What's been able to sustain me on this better way is my love of learning, my curiosity, the understanding that it's not going to be this linear effect of the straight line to get to where I am today. And it's almost 20 years later, right? It's when I think about that 31 year old self who was so exhausted and it took me time to even get to starting the show and I'm going to be soon to be 50. So I guess it's been like 19 years with that. But it's been this, this process. And back then my solution was, I thought something wrong was with me. And so that's why I want to talk about the myths of working hard. Because the truth is, I was working hard. In fact, I was working way too hard for way too long. So when I think about, you know, those initial days when I was a young mom with four kids, I wasn't even 30, it was 20 years ago, and face down on the floor thinking there's something wrong with me. And my only thing was, I've got to work harder, I've got to work harder and being so exhausted and then that beating myself up and numbing myself and beating myself. And it was that downward shame spiral all the time. And what I've learned and I'm continuing to practice is that it's not just about working hard. Yes, I I believe in working hard. I'm a hard worker, but there's actually a lot of myths of working hard. And I want to talk about that because it's something that I face with my clients. I see this happen with my daughters and their peers or their teammates. You know, both my daughters have finished their conference championships for swimming in college and oftentimes 
a kid will say, and this, this will happen also in the aqua monsters. Well, I worked really, really hard. Why didn't I get the results that I wanted? How often have you said that? I worked really, really hard or I sacrificed all of this. And why didn't I get the results that I wanted? So the myths of working hard are hard work doesn't mean you'll get the results you desire. Sometimes it does. And I know we go to that, but that's not the only thing. That's one ingredient in creating the results that you want. Working hard, we believe it means that we'll obtain our goals. I know a lot of people that work really, really hard and their goals don't get obtained. Another is working hard. This is one that we really lie to ourselves about. It's only for a short period of time. (laughs) I can do this. I can go without sleep for just a short period of time, but it becomes night after night. And then maybe we play catch up on the weekend. Then it's the next week. And then we catch up again on the weekend. Then maybe the next weekend we sacrifice that because we're so damn pissed that we've sacrificed so much that we wind up going and rebelling on the other side, right? And we just keep going and going. And then all of a sudden we pick up our head and a year's gone by, two years, 10 years, 20 years. And we say, wait a second, why did I work so hard? Another myth is working hard equals good work. Doesn't mean that. There have been times that I've worked really, really hard. I remember before when I would work really, really hard and I was sick and I work hard and I'd be working. I'd be like, yes, you know, I'm working hard. Look at me. I'm working until 11 or 12 o'clock at night. And I was sick. And it wasn't until afterwards when I got healthier, I realized, holy moly, I was so sick. And the work that I spent three or four hours doing would normally take me 10 minutes to do. It was that insight and that reflection that started to teach me, oh, working hard doesn't necessarily equal good work. But for a long time, I really bought that story. I'll do the final myth and then I'll tell some stories. But the other one is working hard. It's about grinding and self-sacrificing because then the promises you'll get to this promised land. It's like Cinderella will get finally get to the ball, right? Remember, she didn't get to the ball by herself all the animals came in and helped her get her chores done so that she could go. The fairy godmother created her dress and had her carriage that whipped her away to the ball at the last moment. We don't have a fairy godmother, right? And I remind my clients all the time, I'm not the fairy godmother. We need to do it for ourselves. We have to give ourselves that space and that time. So I'm going to go back to swimming. And for those of you that are swimmers or former swimmers, this may resonate with you. But I I often think that swimming is... It's something that I've spent decade. Well, I spent 15 years swimming and then I've spent decades around the pool, either as a coach or now as a parent and as a director. So swimming's always been a way for me to help understand about life and learn about life. And back when I was in high school, like my senior year, I finally accepted the fact that the 205 was probably my better event because I didn't want to do the mile. I would work really hard and go out really, really fast. And my coach is like, Corinne, that doesn't work because the piano would drop on my back. And I'm like, but I'm working really hard. And then I worked really, really hard to finish the race because when that lactic acid builds up in your body, it looks like a piano has dropped on your back, right? It, It just looks like that. It's like, poof, it comes down on you. And then you work really hard to finish and then you beat yourself up because, well, why didn't I go a faster time? And what I had to start learning was 
how to go out fast, but easy fast, where it didn't have to be pain and I'm going to use all my energy and I'm going to plow through it. It took some years to figure out where that sweet spot was. And it's so interesting swimming. There's an art and there's a science to it. But when you look at times, right, you would think going out slower, you may go slower, but finding that sweet spot is the beautiful thing. And so having that easy speed. And and my invitation is to think about what can you do in that flow state, right? Where you can do good work, where you can be really effective, where that hard work, that grinding, that pounding is actually something that we only go into surges either because this is an emergency or there's a crisis, but where it's not every day at that level, because frankly, in 2022, we don't have it too much has been going on in the world. These last two years, we're exhausted. You know, I'm exhausted. We don't have it. We have to work on taking care of ourselves. So it took me some time to learn how to swim with fast, easy speed so that I can finish and sustain. And that's really the work I do with my clients, right? They want to be in these loving, connected relationships. They want to be, you know, parents where they're connected with their kids and with their spouse, with their family members. They want to have friends, right? They want to do work that they have the ability to have longevity in and be able to do it. And in the last year, we've seen people with a great resignation where they're opting out, where people are making these right turns because they've had it, right? We've hit tremendous burnout. It's happening we're exhausted. It's hard. So instead of this, this working hard, my invitation is where can you do things that's in that fast, easy speed that can give you that sweet spot so that you can sustain it so that you can achieve the goals that you want and also have a good life. So the answer is instead of working hard, one of the things that's really important to do is to have deep focus. And that becomes more challenging these days, right? People are constantly interrupting us, especially when we're all in shelter in place and trying to work and we had family at home. Our phones are designed to constantly interrupt us, right? We have all these notifications on our computers, on our phones. When we're doing something hard, like when I'm writing a podcast, it's really easy to go, ooh, what's happening out into the social media world, right? But having deep focus actually takes less time than the working hard and having to get refocused. So that's something that's an example of what is like the metaphor of easy speed. The other thing that becomes really important is, and I almost said, make sure you make time for yourself, right? The thing is, is that we can't make time once everything is done because it's never going to be done. There's always more to do right? There's always more to do, especially for those of us that are high achievers, where it's so easy just to go into overdrive and to overachieve. It's like, oh, let me do this. Once we start doing stuff, we start to see other things that we can do instead of being really clear of what is enough, right? So the important thing is, is to schedule in fun time, schedule in play time, in the early days of coming across Brene's work and getting to know her and having her on my show and reading her books, one of the things that she talked about was the importance of play. And I was like, hmm, play? I'm a busy person. I don't play it. And I hung on to that shtick for a really long time. It's still one that I'm working on overcoming, 
right? Who am I to play? But I've been practicing more fun time and play time. And you've heard me talk about it here. Paint by numbers is one. Puzzling is another. The other is giving myself permission. Like I really love talking with people and listening to people and people are my jam. I really, really like people, right? That is really fun for me. And that is play. So making sure that I schedule in that fun time, that play time, instead of like trying to cheat it in or squeeze it into something that's totally impossible. You know, I have one day of the week that my husband and I schedule for our times and it doesn't always happen, right? Like I've been at a couple of swim meets for my kids the last couple of weeks. So those Saturdays for he and I, our time together didn't happen in that sense, but it happens more often than when we used to not have that scheduled day because I it's protected. So my invitation for you is instead of working hard, schedule in fun time, schedule in play time. Maybe it's an hour a week, maybe a day. And this is a concept I started playing with a long time ago when I read Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, where you'd make a date with yourself. And I remember doing that and I went to a museum thinking, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And it was okay, but it was kind of awkward. And I think it was more awkward, not because of what I did but because I was so out of practice of playing. I was so in the working hard, right? That was the stick that I was like, no, because I was trying to prove who I was. So it was really uncomfortable. It's taking me a long time to become comfortable. It's like, Corinne, you have permission not to work. You have permission to have some downtime. You have permission to not bring your computer. (laughs) Like giving myself that time doesn't mean that I'm not doing my work. It's designating the time to do the work with that deep focus that I was talking about. The other thing, and besides scheduling in fun time is scheduling in you time, time for you. Maybe it's in the morning when you wake up, but you're not jumping out of bed. Maybe it's at lunchtime where you get to sit down and eat a meal and you're not plowing through lunch and kind of eating off to the side, but still working where you're giving yourself you time. A friend of mine, she's Brazilian, and she talked about something that just really stood out. She said, you know, she drinks coffee all the time, but one of the things that her culture is such a part of is that coffee is something that you respect. You sit down with it in a nice mug. You spend that time with yourself. You spend that time with your coffee. You don't have a paper cup and you go walking around with it. You spend that time. We've gotten so much into being productive and efficient that some of these rituals that give us time to think, time to be with ourselves, time to nourish ourselves, we've taken out of for the quest of, I'm going to be more productive. But my question for you is, are you really more productive? There's been a lot of research on this. Cal Newport's written a book called Deep Work, which is a fantastic book about how we schedule things and our focus. And I had Dr. John Medina on the show years ago where he talked about multitasking. So it's not that you have to overhaul things all at once, test it out. I haven't gotten to the point. Oftentimes I make my coffee and I come and I sit down and I'm working and I'm drinking my coffee. And for somebody who really loves coffee, I'm not really giving it that time in that space. I'm not at this point trying to create more space for myself or any of that because I'm kind of tapped out on that. But that will be something that maybe over the next year, I would love to work towards where I sit down 
and have a cup of coffee. I was recently on a trip and I was staying with some friends of ours. The husband would make coffee for us in the morning and it was so delightful to sit around the table and drink coffee and and to talk. It was so much fun. And I've been thinking about that of how do I incorporate that into my day when it's even only myself and having that time. And maybe it's going back to, you know, planning out my day in the morning or spending some time with myself in the morning before I step into work. So scheduling in you time. Now, the other thing that becomes really important is to evaluate what works for you. Now, when I say evaluate, I'm not saying judging yourself and criticizing yourself, right? That's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's really about evaluating, like, how did this work? Like if I spent time with that coffee, did it fill me up or did it not fill me up? Was it something I enjoyed or was I uncomfortable because I'm not used to sitting by myself or I'm noticing there's noise in my head that who do you think you are? This is too much. Right. But just evaluating, being a compassionate observer and noticing without judging, not beating yourself up. So instead of that, instead of beating yourself up before you go into something, my invitation for you is to ask yourself, what is your intention? Right. So for example, with the coffee routine that my friend was talking about, the intention is to have time with yourself to enjoy the experience especially if you're somebody that really loves coffee, to really enjoy that experience and have time with it. And ask yourself, how long does it really take? It might be five minutes. It might be 10 minutes. Do you really not have that much time for yourself? Years ago, when I was coaching some clients on this, they were saying, I don't have time for lunch. And I actually had them time in. I said, well, how long does it take for you to eat your lunch? Because it was already pre-made. And they were finding out it took seven minutes, right? And they realized like, oh, I I could give myself seven minutes of time where I'm enjoying that experience. And even if it's 15 minutes, right? And having that time in a space to fill you up. So ask yourself, what is your intention? And then afterwards, remember how I talked about evaluate? This is where you reflect on, did the experience align with your intention. And it's okay if it didn't, because then you can look at, okay, what could be improved? Or maybe you need to practice it. Because remember when I first talked about doing play, and that's when Maria Shriver was the first lady, and she did the overhaul of the California Governor's Museum, I think. And there was a women's history section, and I wanted to go and see it. And I can still remember the uncomfortableness. It was very vulnerable. And I didn't know what that word was back then and that feeling, but it was very vulnerable. And I'm like, how can I do this? And judging myself that I'm leaving my little kids at home. And I didn't come out of there going, oh, yippee skippy. That was just so fantastic. I was kind of like, well, I did that. I don't know. Was it worth it? It was really uncomfortable. Now looking back, I can realize I was vulnerable and I was out of practice of one, having time for myself and two, even being comfortable doing something that was fun or interesting and allowing myself to have that. I didn't know back then that I could give myself my own permission, right? Now I would take that in with me, permission slips. So afterwards, reflect, did it align with your intention? Sometimes it's a matter of being able to do it again and again so that you can overcome that initial maybe vulnerability or anxiety or fear. This happens in swimming all the time when parents first come to swimming, 
there, you know, there's all this anxiety. The kids have it, the parents have it. And I'm always like, never evaluate on the first practice, never evaluate on the drop-off, always evaluate on the pickup, never evaluate on the first practice because there's so much emotion that comes up. Right. But then after time, maybe after three practices, there's more of a routine, right? So as you practice something, some of the initial, the fear of the unknown or the, the lack of practice in that area may alleviate. And then you'll get even more data for yourself, more learnings. And when you're reflecting, you look at, okay, what worked well? I mean, one of the things about going through a museum back then, and this is probably like 2004. So at that time I had a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. And I had a very demanding job with a lot, a lot of obstacles. And back then I would say a lot of sexism in my profession. And I had a husband with a demanding job and there was the Olympics of 2004 and there wasn't space for me, right? So it was really uncomfortable to go maybe for an hour at the museum. So it was probably two hours that I was gone, but I did it. And I kept trying to do it. (laughs) It's taken me a long time to be able to play and to be able to enjoy it. So reflecting what worked well, what can be improved. And then the other part is what's your part and what's not your part, right? So part of my part was I had believed I'd come to this place of believing that I shouldn't take time for myself. And then the other part is there's this cultural programming where we as women aren't supposed to take time for ourselves. That's being a really selfish person, right? And then I had a job that it was like, well, you shouldn't have kids. We all have stay-at-home wives. (laughs) So there was that whole thing too. I had a lot of patriarchy to work through. So paying attention to what is your part, what is not your part in this structure that keeps you working hard and is exhausting you and not getting the results that you want, right? So what we want to do is we want to find the sweet spot there. I'm not saying not to work hard. I do work hard. I, you know, that's really, I'm an immigrant's daughter, right? That's very well ingrained. And I've been working on enjoying and playing and taking care of myself. And it's still a work in progress. And even today, as I was getting stuff together for my CPA, I noticed that I have a lot of systems in place so that there were things that were kind of easier. And then I started going, oh, but I have to make sure this, I started going into perfectionism because how could it be not so easily done? Because it wasn't easy. I mean, it still took time, but it wasn't really, really hard. Like I think I've created enough systems in place where I've hit a sweet spot. And this year's a little bit messier of a sweet spot than some other years, just because of those past couple of years in terms of some of my papers weren't organized the way I would like. But even though it was messy, it really didn't take that long. And it wasn't as hard as say like 10 years ago when my life wasn't as financially as complicated or my company wasn't as financially as complicated with all the different structures. So I was noticing, oh, I must work harder. I must fill up this time because my deadline was I need to get him stuff before five o'clock. And how could I be done by 2.30 or 3. That would be ridiculous, right? So just pay attention. And what I'm able to do now is because I have practiced so much compassion, self-compassion, right? Which is 
the attributes are, and this is from Kristen Neff's work, who's also been a guest on the show, and we'll put links to her interviews in the show notes. But self-compassion is self-kindness, where I'm not beating myself up and going, Corinne, you're an idiot. I can't believe you're doing this. No, I was like, oh, look at my brain. My brain's telling me that I need to work harder. My brain's starting to go into, I have to do this perfectly. The other part is that common humanity, I know that this working hard to have good results, I'm not the only one. Like I've, as I talked about, I've watched this happen the last couple of weeks with all the swimmings that I was at where these high performers, right? The top tier in the country are beating themselves up because they're like, but I worked really, really hard. And I'm like, yes, but a giant piano dropped on your back because you went out so hard that there wasn't anything left except a whole bunch of lactic acid in your muscles and it dropped on you, right? So then when they learn to not work hard and have that easy speed, they could find their sweet spot. And so I guess even today with the messiness of some of my stuff, I was able to find more of my sweet spot. So the common humanity is one of the things that helped me get through it. And then the other is the other attribute of self-compassion is mindfulness. And that's the ability to understand your thoughts and your feelings and not get attached to it. So what that looks like is when I started noticing myself rev up, right? Of, oh, well, maybe it can't be done yet. So I need to go find this or I need to do this. And I started noticing I was creating more work for myself because heaven forbid that I end a bit early (laughs) in getting my taxes done, right? With very little drama or stress because we're taught that we're supposed to work hard. And what if it is easy? right? What if it's easy and that's okay. So that's the self-compassion. The other part is I talk to myself with a lot of empathy and that's having perspective. You know, here I'm sharing it with you. I was working for the most part by myself most of the day. So it was something that I was aware of, but those two are the antidotes for shame. So when I get into that place of it's not good enough and I need to go into perfection, which is the birthplace of shame, showing up with compassion and empathy, those are the antidotes and those help me have perspective and say like, Hey, it's okay. I don't have to do it perfectly. I'm going to do the best that I can and give my CPA all the, you know, stuff. And, and actually what I actually did was I improved the way I gave him the documents and all the forms and stuff that he needed to have. So at least I believe I did. We'll know more in a couple of weeks. So for you, my friend, with this myth of working hard, my invitation for you is for you to schedule in time for yourself daily, if you can. And yes, I understand we need reminders about this. You're not the only one. I had somebody tell me today, Corinne, it'd be really good for you to take 15 to 20 minutes for yourself. And even this evening, I had some Girl Scout cookies. Some Girl Scouts were dropping off some Girl Scout cookies. And so I decided to go sit outside in a chair while waiting for them. It was a beautiful evening and to sit there. And it was only a couple of minutes, but that's scheduling time for myself daily, right? Scheduling weekly time for yourself. I like to have downtime and I'm giving myself more and more of that permission for a person who... 21 years ago when we were remodeling our house and I took the bathtub out of the master bathroom because I was like, why would anyone take a bath? That's just ridiculous. I will be doing a remodel at some point in the future and I will be putting a massive bathtub in my bathroom, but taking that time for yourself and scheduling it ahead of time. 
some years ago, Karen Walrand, a friend of mine who's been on the show, we were talking about blocking out time for ourselves quarterly, like going away from our families and even just from the day-to-day work to maybe do some thinking on some work or some time for ourselves. And I remember loving that idea. And I was so excited because I scheduled some time away and then COVID happened. (laughs) So I started realizing just last week, I was like, you know, I could, I'm an empty nester. I could go and schedule some time away where I'm not responsible for anybody else. And I can do some deep thinking and have a little retreat where I'm by myself and I'm just there for that purpose. And I did a bit of that back in December at a work trip to New York. And I went there a few days early and it was the first time in almost two years, right? A year and a half where I could walk around and I could think and the creativity just really flowed. And it really helped me figure some stuff out. And I used to think that thinking time, people who had thinking time was, that was really frivolous and it's not a luxury. Like thinking time is so, so important. It's so valuable. So however you can schedule time for yourself, and it depends on the season of life that you're in, right? It really, really depends on that. I get it. I'm an empty nester. How can you set up that time for yourself? And if this is your supportive reminder, don't then start beating yourself up like, oh my gosh, I should have realized this. We all forget. And sometimes the things that are so obvious and right in front of us, we often miss. And then the other thing is take inventory. So not only schedule time for yourself, right? Whether it's daily, weekly, maybe it's monthly, you know, I've got the daily, the weekly, the monthly down. I'm going to work on the quarterly for this year. I've been working on the other ones and developing those skill sets. But the other thing to do is to take inventory of your support system. You know, who in your life is part of your support system? So today when I dropped off my packets and stuff to my CPA, I was pulling out and I was thinking about my bookkeeper and I was like, gosh, I spent a lot of money on a bookkeeper, but had I not, the ease of today would have not been easy. It would have been a shit show. And I was so grateful to have him to do the books for my company because One is there was a structure in place that we would check in throughout the year. So I wasn't doing it all just now. And it was something that was taking off my plate so that I can focus on some of the other stuff that I needed to do. And I was like, wow, that is money well spent. So sometimes we are buying our support systems. And sometimes it's also the people in our life, right? Who are the people that are part of your support system? It can be family members. It could be friends. And just notice where you can be grateful for. And I'm also reviewing the areas of my life where I may not have support systems in place. And so I'm looking at, okay, where are the areas that I want to cultivate that? Now, here's the thing. Today's show is about you not working hard. And I imagine there's some of you who are like, wait a second, Corinne, you're just talking about who are the people supporting us? Shouldn't we be supporting people? I don't think that's really an issue for my people, for the community we have here and how she really does it. My clients, we're all really good at supporting other people at the expense and sacrifice of ourselves. So yes, we want to support other people's, but we can discuss that in another podcast. This podcast episode is about us not working hard. And remember when I talked about what's your part, what's not your part, 
oftentimes there are systems that are here to not have support for us. We are taught that we are supposed to take care of everybody else and we're really selfish if we don't. But what are the support systems that we need to create and make sure that we have so that not only you can thrive, but those around you can thrive? Because, you know, back before I started the show and my daughter was in kindergarten, remember I was saying my three-year-old, my five-year-old, my 14, 15-year-old bonus daughter, we were all crying. And myself, we were all crying. The two boys in the house were like, what's going on? So it was a massive shit show. Nobody was doing well. And that's where over time I'm learning. And also as I reflect back, I'm like, holy moly, no wonder Thursday nights were so hard when my daughters were teenagers, right? Because we were going so much and there wasn't that much space. And so Thursday nights, we'd be exhausted. And of course, there would be a really rough night because we were so tired. So I'm now more and more, I'm getting proactive about what systems are in place to support me so that I can then support the people that I either choose to or I've committed to being responsible for. So as I close up today, Think about the metaphor of easy speed, the easy fast in a race. We all need to find our sweet spot of working hard, enjoying life and doing things easily. And for each of us, it's going to look different and that's okay. Until next time, I'm smiling big for you. Hey there, before we go, I have a question for you. Have you subscribed to the show yet? This is an awesome opportunity for you to preserve your brain juice. I love the fact that I can subscribe to podcasts and television shows and they go straight to my iPhone or they go straight to my DVR and then I don't have to worry of, oh no, especially with television shows. Did I hit record? Is it going to be there? Or now do I have to watch it on demand and go through all the commercials? So go and hit the subscribe button. There's a link in the show notes and that will ensure you that you never miss a show and you can also save your brain juice for other things in your life. There's way more important things, but you and I will still be connected because the show will be waiting for you in your phone. Go to the link in the show notes, subscribe to the show so you can automatically get all the shows to your phone. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting, never been so wide